You're listening to The Big Show with George Russick. There's a big, meaty buffet, extra meat. And Matty Rose. I can see a screen. Patrick! Where are you? On Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hour number two. It's The Big Show. Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Brought to you by MortgagesToGo.ca. Always the lowest interest rates in Canada since 2004. Visit MortgagesToGo.ca. At 8.30, we're giving away not one, but two pairs of Roughneck tickets against the Roughnecks. Yeah, I know. Plural. Roughneck. Maybe they should have went Roughneck. Anyway, two pairs of tickets to the Roughnecks. Playing mm. whom? The Philadelphia Wings. Yeah, or who? Um, here's the question. The who wings? Yeah, who wings? Yeah. The wings. Uh, the flames are likable. Like blank is likable to me. Flames are. Bl- <laughs> the flames are likable. Like blank is likable to me. Nine sixty nine sixty. Name and location. You get very clever and creative. Chances are you can win some tickets. We'll do that at eight thirty. But first, and we'll talk to Frank Cervalli bottom of the hour. But first, uh, he's a hockey consultant, author of Hockey Tactics 2024 on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Workist Hotline. We say good morning to Jack Hand. Jack, how are you? Morning, fellas. Big win last night. It was a, an exciting win. We were talking about how, like, that overtime last night was probably the most exciting one in the Flame season. Yeah. So, I, I mean, not, not the best season, right? But when the team works hard and they get good goaltending, well, like any other NHL team, they have a chance to win. Um, we, we have you on because uh, y- your book's fascinating on how teams play in the offensive zone, the defensive zone, the neutral zone. Uh, you just released this book too. How much film do you watch on every huh. single team? So you t- take us through the process on how you write this book. How many hours of Calgary Flames film <laughs> specifically did you watch? before you, you had the excerpt on them in your book? So for folks who are not familiar with me, uh, I, I worked for a number of years in, in the Toronto Maple Police organization. I coached uh, their AHL affiliate, uh, the Toronto Marlies, and a big part of my job was to, to scout opposing teams. So uh, on a given week, I might watch, I don't know, 20 or 30 hours of film on, on opposing teams so, you know, I've had years of practice doing this. So, you know, now I've kind of, I'm able to do it a little bit quicker. Uh, but, but also it's just, you know, hockey is a game where the same patterns uh, happen pretty often. And, you know, in, in terms of the Calgary Flames, like they play a style that's fairly standard. And you can pick out a lot of those things pretty quickly, actually. One of the things that a lot of people talked about as we were going into this season was the Vegas Golden Knights defensive structure and how a lot of teams were going to try and copy it because it was something a little bit different than kind of what we had seen conventionally recently. Can you tell us a little bit about what Vegas did to defend last year that helped them win the Stanley Cup and how teams are trying to copy that this season? So so the thing with Vegas is that, um, like, we we see more and more teams in the NHL kind of activating their defensemen and playing more risky offensively. I think Boston is a really good example of that, and, and that has pluses and minuses, whereas Vegas, they, they're kind of old school. Like, they got really skilled forwards. They got big defensemen who can box out and block shots and, and win these battles down low. So w- what they basically did was they didn't really – 
care about being as risky. They, they had their big defensemen win the battles down low, stretch the puck out to their forwards, and, you know, it worked for them, right? It, it's not going to work for every team. If your team has, let's say, smaller, more like skating or rushing defensemen, it's not necessarily going to work as well, but it works for their personnel. And that's the biggest takeaway I have when I study NHL teams every year is that you can have success in a variety of different ways, but the tactics have to fit the personnel. And that's such a a coaching thing. Who are some of your favorite coaches that do that well, that match their system to their personnel? Um, I mean, like every NHL coach, I think, is, is there for a reason, and they all do it fairly well. The one, the one coach at, and the one team that's really surprised me this year is Philadelphia under under John Tortorella because last year I just I. I did not like the way that they played at all. Like they were very boring. They didn't score a lot of goals. They didn't create a lot of offense. They would flip the puck out a whole bunch, but then, you know, it, it seems like they were successful kind of working on their defensive play first, being really solid there. And then this year they're actually really good off the rush because of how well they're able to pressure and force turnovers and play defense. So that's been really interesting to see. And I think for Calgary without rebuilding the entire team and you know maybe just upgrading around the fringes or whatever maybe that's a model for them to follow but again it's not every team that's able to to make that transformation really really happen um jack obviously uh new head coach for the calgary flames and ryan huska and you watched a ton of film under daryl sutter with this team and essentially there's a lot of the same pieces here on this roster tactically how different are this year's edition of the calgary flames compared to last I wouldn't say it's a night and day difference. And the thing with Calgary is that I've always liked that the way that they play tactically, uh, like under Sutter, they had a lot of regular season success. They, you know, they control play at five on five. Like if I had, let's say, if I were coaching uh, 12 and under or 14 and under or 16 and under, like I would actually model my team after Calgary just because like they're, in terms of tactics, they're, they're fairly simple. They're pretty standard, but they're, they're actually pretty sound. The thing that, that's problematic now is that, you know, you don't have a Johnny Gaudreau or a Matthew Kachuk that's really going to be a game-breaker. So, again, you know, for Calgary to, to, to win games consistently, you have to have good goaltending, which, again, is, you know, something apart from 5-on-5 five five team play. And also you've got to work really hard, but it's, it's tough to outwork other NHL teams over an 82 game season, which is why, you know, Calgary is not, they're not 32nd, but they're 22nd. One of the things that I, I find fascinating about your book, Hockey Tactics, is the way that you focus on certain players and certain organizations and how teams like to use those players. When you look at the Flames organization, who are kind of the key players that they use to go through their tactics when they're out there? Well, the, the the thing with the Flames is, is again, like they got to do it way more by committee than they used to, right? And you know, you, you used to be able to roll out Kachuk, Gaudreau, and Lindholm on the same line, and and be pretty confident that you can drive play and and make things happen against pretty much anybody. But now, you know, we see that Jonathan Juberdo is a player with a lot of flaws, even though he has you know an, an interesting skill set. Um, you know, Andrew Mangiapane, I think I, I love the way that he plays and how hard he works and, you know, the, the kind of the offensive touch we see once in a while. But again, he's not maybe as uh, 
in terms of thinking the game, he's maybe a little bit more one-dimensional than, than other kind of top-line players. Mackenzie Weger is, is a great all-around defenseman, but probably more of a complementary player who can chip in here and there. Like, he's not necessarily going to carry the game. Same, you know, Rasmus Anders is a player that I, I really like a lot. But again, like, these are all players who, you know, you put three or four or five of them together and they can work together, but there's not one player that's going to be a, a true game-breaker. So, so that's the challenge for Calgary. Obviously, this is a team that a lot of people are looking at ahead of the trade deadline coming up in in just a couple of weeks here. Can this team keep defending the style the way they do if they trade their second pair, essentially, in Noah Hannafin and Chris Tanev? Well, obviously not, right? Like if... Like for any team, if you, <laughs> if you trade your second pair, yeah. you trade your second pair, your first and your, your third pairs get exposed immediately just right. because of. So that's an know, issue, Jack. Quick. Is that what you're saying? Like taking yeah. away your second pair is an issue. Okay. Well, okay. All right. Let me, let me write, write that, that one down. I'm going to write that down. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the question now becomes is like, like, do you really want to be 22nd in the league? I mean, obviously you don't want to be 30, you know, 32nd, but then you got a lottery pick most likely. Um, you know, if, if you're 12, you make the playoffs. If you're second, you're in a good spot, obviously. But do you really want to be 22nd? It's probably like the worst place that you, you want to be as a team. Uh, Jack, when you're watching film and you're writing this incredible book and how incredibly detailed it is, and the legend you use is incredible. Like, it's... I love the diagrams. Like, yeah. I gotta say, like, the the, the Like, Matty's a hockey nerd and he loves this stuff. Like, the, he loves all of it. And, um, and the aesthetics has come quite a ways in just a couple of years. So I just want to say, I really like this edition. So what we wanted to ask you is this. Who's the most disorganized team you watch on film? And you're like, how is this possible? It's the NHL. Well, okay. So I, I think the answer is the Sharks. And the reason why... <laughs> why is, is the Sharks the answer to everything what's wrong with the NHL? That's, just, that's probably the Sharks. But, but that's what happens when you tear it down, right? Like, I, I know that there's a sizable... Like, some of my buddies are, are Flames fans and, uh, you know, bloggers and, and analysts. And they're advocating this approach of like tearing it down and starting over. But the thing is, is that when you tear it down, even though you have guys who are NHL players and, and maybe more like fringe NHL players, you're going to be bad for a little while. And the thing is, is that, you know, it's not just a matter of then repopulating with draft picks or, you know, good players or whatever, because once you lose that structure, it does take a while to get it back. Like the biggest, one of the biggest success stories in the past 10 years is how Colorado was able to really bottom out and then get a bunch of good draft picks in. And then, but like, like I visited with that team around 2016, 17 and like it was, it looked completely hopeless for a while. Right. So it, it, it takes a long time. And the gamble with Jose is that they're going to bottom out and, and same with Chicago actually, but they're going to bottom out. Uh, they're going to accrue some draft picks and some good prospects. But there's no guarantee that once you have good players, the, the good structure is going to follow. Because, again, it's, you, you tear a house down to its foundations uh, and you got to rebuild from the ground up. Well, there's no, you know, it's not as simple, basically, because you're dealing with people here. You're not dealing with, you know, planks of wood. Um, I'm fascinated to hear what some of your favorite chapters to write and really to enjoy are because I've just kind of dipped a toe in here. I checked out the Bruins as they were the opponent yesterday and obviously the Flames. We've checked out a couple others here in the break, but what are some of your favorite teams to kind of look at here in the Hockey Tactics book and, and kind of explain what they're doing, something that's unique and really gets you going? Um, well, I mean, you know, like, 
Toronto is, is a chapter that I focus on every year because obviously I, I know a lot of the players and the people and, and that was part of that process for a while. But, you know, like every chapter is different because I come into each year having a, a pretty clear idea of what this team used to play like, but then you have to spend a few hours and, and you know, really study the tape and, and see what they're doing differently. And But for me, like, like the structure of the game, the tactics, um, it doesn't change a whole lot year over year. I, I'm just more curious about how individual players, they adapt and they navigate those things. Because basically, you know, the NHL, it's, it's a player-driven league. And every team needs to have a structure that's coherent. But then really, again, if, if you want to go from 22nd to 12th to second in the league and beyond, uh, you, you need to have some special players to kind of take you out of those, out of that routine and, and really you know, break the game open for you. I uh, I I wait for this book the last couple of years, and I I wonder how much of a sample size you need before you can go through the process because teams kind of change things early on in the season. How much of the year do you have to get through before you have enough footage, enough of a team's plan that you can watch before you can put it down on paper? So. Um... The, the way that professional video coaches do it is they'll take anywhere from like a two game sample to if, if it's like maybe more of a playoff matchup, it's like a two or five game sample. Um, for me, like let's say around November, December, I start feeling comfortable in saying that, okay, this is what this team plays like. But then once you hit December, then you're into, you know, coach firing season, depending on, on what team we're talking about. So then you got to kind of start over again, right? Like the, the thing that kind of really threw me for a loop was, you know, LA made a coaching change. Ottawa made a coaching change. The Islanders made a coaching change, like right around the time where I was kind of finalizing the the book and, and trying to get it out. So, you know, depending on what they were doing, like I was able to maybe see a, a bit of it, but then you don't know if it's going to stick. You don't know if actually the coach is going to change much of anything, or maybe he's going to change everything. So it, it, it's kind of a, in that sense, it's kind of a challenge because, I got to strike a balance between being thorough, but also getting the book out before the end of the season. Mm. Cause you know, what, what's the point? Right? <laughs> yeah. I hear you. Uh, I did want to uh, give you an opportunity to uh, obviously plug the book, plug the socials and uh, something that was on your social media the other day that uh, definitely caught our eye. Uh, your thought on Logan Stankoven and Maverick Bork, a couple of guys who have been in the AHL a lot this year, but you believe will be able to help the stars in the postseason as well. Yeah, I mean, like, the AHL is a really tough league. And if you're a player around, let's say, 19, 20, 21, and you're scoring over half a point a game, like, you're doing really well. Um, When I was with the Marlies, like, we had some young players who we really had to shelter and we really had to, like, bring in gradually. And by all accounts, like, Stankover and and Borg, I think, they're, they're ready for the next step. Like, they're dominant players in the AHL while still being quite young. And, you know, in my experience, like to, to go far in the playoffs, you need good depth and you need good young players to come in if, if there's an injury and provide some, some, maybe some depth scoring. And like, so I'm always looking for these players between the ages of, you know, 20 and 25 on a, on a cup contender who can potentially step into a lineup. I think Dallas has got two of them. I, I like their games and, and, and I think they're going to be really important next factors. What have you made of Austin Matthews' season so far? 
he's good, right? That's <laughs> yeah. so why we got you on, yeah, Jack. If, if you're why we got you on? If you're in the goals, I guess. <laughs> so okay. So the thing with Austin Matthews is obviously he's on pace for like seventy goals, but you know, go on YouTube. We watch all of his goals, and I would guarantee you, like, at least two thirds or maybe three quarters of those goals, like it's on his stick and it's off his stick. So what that means is, you know, a lot of his scoring is dependent on playing with good line mates and playing inside an offensive system that gets him the puck consistently in, in the right spots. So it, it's not just him, you know, taking the puck through five people and, and putting it into the net himself. It's all about him, you know, working hard, but working smart and having other people around him. And, and ultimately that's the importance of, you know, having coherent tactics is that again, even if you have a superstar, if you have a team play, that's, that's catered to them, then they can be way better because I can guarantee you if, if Austin Matthews played for the Sharks and you just drop him in there, you know, he may score 35, he may even score 40, but he's not going to score 70. Uh, Jack, before I let you go, tell us where we get the book. So uh, Hockey Tactics 2024 is a PDF download. Uh, so, you know, get the book. You can print it out, put it in the locker room, put it in the coach's room, share it with your players. You can get it at www.gumroad.com and then just search for Hockey Tactics 2024. Jack Han, hockey consultant, author of Hockey Tactics 2024. Really interesting stuff. Thanks for this, Jack. All right. Take care, guys. There you go. Uh, Really not too much of a stark difference between the Flames under Sutter compared to the Flames under Huska, which isn't really a surprise because it's a lot of the same pieces, but the Flames definitely have a, a style where they're aggressive and it's fun to watch well especially when they defend like it yeah. worked under Sutter so why would well, you change a whole lot of what you were doing they've made a couple of tweaks here well, and there but I don't think it was a complete yeah. overhaul listen like say what you will about you know Daryl Sutter with the culture around the team but well, the tactics were the, the the guy knows his X's and O's yeah like oh, he he knows the game like there that was never in question never much like Mike Babcock that's never in question the preparation the X's and O's knows the game inside and out it's just the other stuff involved, the yeah. human aspect of it. Exactly. And, and But again, you, a, a lot of people are still huge fans of Daryl, so it's definitely not the Mike Babcock situation would happen in Columbus. No, it's just, well, it's, it's different. Times yeah, are different. It is different. The players don't won't stand for it anymore. Right. They're putting their foot down. That's right. When you get the big bags of money and they're putting their foot down. Um, I want to ask Frank about Oliver Shillington. I really do. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a fair thing to ask coming off back-to-back goals. But these, are, these goals. are good things, yeah. Well, yeah, well the, it depends on what you're asking him. Yeah, okay, well, we'll do that. And uh, apparently uh, Mark Stone's hurt, and the Golden Knights going to have some cap space because they might be doing stuff with LTIR. Who knows? We'll ask Frank about that next. And uh, we're also giving away two pairs of Roughnecks tickets at 830. Uh, the Flames are likable like blank is likable to me. The Flames are likable. Like blank is likable to me. 960, 960, name and location. Frank, the Cobra, it's all straight ahead. Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. It's a Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan, powered by mortgagestogo.ca. Always the lowest interest rates in Canada since 2004. Visit mortgagestogo.ca. At the top of the hour, the solution snake, the Cobra himself, Frank Cron, Big Show Flames analyst, will join us in studio. He wants to spit some hot truth about Linus Hallmark. He was fired up last night. Fraud. <coughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Save it for uh, Kron. Maybe he's changed his mind this morning. They are Carlson of NetMinders.
Oh, boy. Okay, um, we'll talk to Kron coming up. We're also giving away two pairs of tickets to the Roughnecks. Roughnecks and Wings game coming up. When is it? Saturday night, there baby. The Couple Flames of fraud winners last year. So crazy. Uh, Anyways, the what? Flames are likable like blank is likable to me. Mm-hmm. The Flames are likable like blank is likable to me. I got to say, some really good ones already. There we go. There's two really, really well-read, well-put-together texts that I've quite enjoyed. Good job. Keep uh, up the good work. I think we might open the phone line. Maybe somebody will call. Maybe they Whoa. won't. I don't know. Whoa. But we'll do that at 830. But right now, mm. uh, from NHL Daily Faceoff, Mr. Frank Cervalli, courtesy of South Trail Exports. With inventory shortages across the city, it's a perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailExports.com. Good morning, sir. How are you? Hello, friends. How much sleep are you getting these days? Uh, not much. These late games are killing me. Wednesday night, the Oiler game, Oilers Bruins, yep. 10.22 p.m. local time start. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How loud is the ringer on your phone at night, just in case? It's on loud. Okay. All right. And you're like, what happened? What? Is that one of those instances? I mean, it's kind of rare two weeks before the deadline, but because usually even the managers or whoever is making a transaction in this case, it's like, ah, whatever. We'll just wait till tomorrow. Okay. How, how do you. But in- when it comes to actual deadline night, yeah, like, yes, that actually is a thing. Hmm. How do you interact with the better half around this time of year? Uh, separate bedrooms. Okay. Business. All right. Business. All business. Yeah, of course. Uh, that's good. That's also the key to a healthy relationship, some people would say, Frank. Um, business wh- in the front, party in the back. There you go. A mullet. Wow. There you go. Um, wanted to ask you about Oliver Shillington. Uh, mm-hmm. this, the story's incredible. It's very heartwarming. Uh, what, mm-hmm. he, what he's gone through, the patience uh, shown by the Calgary Flames, and now all of a sudden, looking even more comfortable, scores that beauty goal last night. You see the giant smile on his face, just beaming after scoring that goal. I think this is a good question to ask because it's where Oliver Shillington is right now in his comeback. The business side of Oliver Shillington, he's a pending unrestricted free agent. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you anticipate him and the Flames getting together on an extension here soon. Maddie has no idea what that number looks like. And I think it's a good thing for Oliver Shillington and the Flames that we're talking about his future and what that might look like. Look, I, I think it's a question that will be answered in due time. I think part of it is the Flames just want to let him play, right? Get back playing, feel comfortable, have moments like you've seen. And then we'll discuss it at the appropriate time. The Flames have... Craig Conroy's desk is completely full. <laughs> between Hannafin, Tanev, and potentially Markstrom, plus whatever other packages teams might want to try and put together for another roster player. I think they're getting calls on Rasmus Anderson. I mean, you take all those things and you add it up. Like As important as a story as Shillington is, I think, for the future... It's not something they're thinking about right in the here and now and post deadline April May is is I think when it'll get sorted mm. out but it's a it's an important and valid question to ask because I think the ability to keep him and the way that he's played so far in his in his return he could still be an important part of this team and sure. that's you know that's really essentially you know how they're looking at it but they also want him to feel good about it and feel comfortable so 
you know, don't put the cart before the horse in terms of, of making, you know, getting down that path to, to getting to an extension. Uh, when you Just me- let play. Yeah, well, and again, these are good things. Um, when you mentioned Rasmus Anderson, I just it really surprises me, Frank. Like that price, uh, the Canucks played uh, played paid um, for Phil for Elias, Yeah, for Heronic. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. for Elias Lindholm was a big, big price. Yeah. If the Flames somehow wanted to trade Rasmus Anderson, what would that look like, Frank? Because to me, I would be absolutely stunned if they traded him. Yeah, I'd be surprised. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. I mean, I think you manage your pending UFAs first. But if a team's willing to come knock your socks off, then that's a different discussion, right? And if that's the case with the term remaining on his deal, then you'd have to at least explore it because what happens if this summer or at some point next season you're in the same spot with Anderson that you might be right now to be able to juice that return... I think you'd have to at least consider it. One of the things that we keep waiting on here is obviously Chris Tanev and Noah Hannafin. Do you have is anything changed around these two as we get closer and closer? No, I don't think anything's changed. I would say the Tanev part is it'll I think it'll eventually just take care of itself. I mm-hmm. mean, there's a number of teams that are lined up to to get Chris Tanev. The bidding war hasn't really started yet. Most teams have sort of put their cards on the table and, you know, made an offer. And I think the Flames are are waiting to see if they can, as the clock ticks down to 3 p.m. on March 8th, can they do better? And how much better can it get? So that's the Tanev side. And the Hanifin side is, is a lot more, I guess you would say, labor-intensive. Mm-hmm. It's trying to drum up a market it's dealing with teams that are interested but have limited assets to send back it's trying to navigate around um Hannafin's ultimate preferences since I think he's I wouldn't say wedging himself into the process but I think fair to say that he sort of let teams know or let um through his agent have let you know, people know that matter what his preferences are and where he'd like to play. And that part is just further complicating the process for the flames that, you know, some teams that might or would be interested are looking at a situation where they know he'd be a pure rental. And that makes it a little bit more difficult of a deal to, to accomplish, to get back what you think you should. Obviously, anybody can go on cap friendly and figure out who's got what of their draft picks and, and organize all of that type of stuff. But and not necessarily even just for the Flames. There's big players like Jake Gensel out there, too. Who are some of the top prospects or young players that are available via trade from some of these good teams that are looking to add maybe veteran help or that extra piece? Who are some of the top young players that we might see get moved ahead of the deadline? Give me like, give me a team. Like, I mean, who who are we talking about here? Well, I'm th- like in New York. Do you believe that Capo Caco would actually move? Like, we just saw Boston. Yeah, I think and there's a possibility that he could. But would you consider him a top prospect at this point? Well, he's he's still going to be a, a an NHL player. I would say, like, I would put him in. I, a- I'd say he's beyond the point of being a prospect. Like, we're talking about. 
how about hundreds uh, of games into his career? We saw him yesterday here in Boston. How about a guy like a Mason Lowry? No chance. Look at how well he's played. Look at Matt Grizzlick's contract that's up. Look at the left side of their defense. Um, obviously, Hampus Lindholm is out. He's playing a huge role, taking on tough competition. Uh, I mentioned, you know, Boston stop in Edmonton. Like, he was on the ice for a ton of minutes, and his most common opponent was Connor McDavid. Mm-hmm. He's 23 years old. They have very little in their pipeline. I'd be absolutely shocked if he's someone that's on the move. What about in Tampa? What could they perhaps pony up for any of these teams? That's that's really where you get to the tough part of the conversation. The The Lightning have been trading away most of their first-round picks. They had one last year in Isaac Howard. He's had a tremendous year. He transferred from Minnesota Duluth to Michigan State. He was a force at the World Juniors, looked like a clutch player. And look, at some point, the Lightning are going to need to conserve resources. They're going to need to watch games like last night and say, oh man, this is really disappointing. Even though we're in the playoffs, we're in a spot where we're losing to non-playoff teams and we've got key injuries. We've got massive holes to fix. How could we possibly do it all only having a first round pick in 2026? And short of Howard, like I know they're a team that generally has drafted pretty well, but when you don't have picks, you're looking for hope bets in the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds. And there's not much to go on in terms of um, what Tampa has in their pipeline, which again, going back to Hannafin and going back to his purported interest in playing in Tampa, whether it's now or whether it's on July 1 as a free agent signee, there's not a lot there to pick from that Tampa, I think, would be willing to part with. Like, you're going to need Isaac Howard contributing to your team on an entry-level deal in the near future. Frank Saravalli, uh, NHL Insider for Daily Faceoff, brought to you by South Trail Exports, Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. What's the latest on Jacob Markstrom? Talk? I don't know that there is much talk right now. I think it's been rather quiet on the Markstrom front for hmm. 10 days now. What do you think the appetite is for the Flames to actually trade him? Because you watch a performance like he did last night, Frank. He could literally drag this team into the second wild card in the Western Conference. Like, obviously, could the Flames have their cake and eat it too? Make the playoffs and then trade all these pending UFAs and stockpile with prospects and picks and still maybe get squeezed into the playoffs? And sure, you know, obviously, they'd, they'd probably be the worst team in the Stanley Cup playoffs and probably get their doors blowing off in the first round of the playoffs, but the experience the young guys would have, like, is there a chance that maybe Conroy and the Flames are looking at it that way, that if we actually keep Markstrom, and that's something we entertain in the summer, that he could literally drag us into the playoffs here and we can get the best of both worlds? Yeah, I think it's a possibility. I think they also recognize that they're going to have to do something on the goalie front at some point, whether it's now or this summer. And I think part of it, too, is also being driven by Markstrom himself. And you can see the play on the ice. Markstrom is, he's an ultra competitive guy. He's got an edge to him and he wants to win. He wants a chance to win. And I think he realizes that over the term of this contract in Calgary, he's not going to have the chance to do it with the Flames based on where they're heading. And so 
I think that's part of it too, is they recognize that he's, you know, basically looking at um, a retool, rebuild, whatever you want to call it. And it may not be, you know, you may have the chance to sneak in this year, three points back right now that he could, you know, he could do that and, you know, get those juices flowing but at the same time, he might also have the ability to do it somewhere else on a team that has a better chance. So I think they recognize that his value is never going to be higher than it is right now, most likely. You could have more teams in the mix in the summer with more cap space. Um, but you're also seeing what I've been talking about all season as a market correction and what teams want to and are willing to spend on goaltending. And you're also dealing with a 34-year-old. So there is a bunch of different facets of this, you know, proposed transaction. There's a bunch of parts to it that I think, you know, the flames are trying to sift through. I think in an ideal world, um, they could move out Hannafin and Tanev and you do get that experience for the young guys, as you said, but there's no guarantee that that happens even if you keep Markstrom. So that's the other part that they're, fully recognizing too. Uh, it doesn't help the Devils losing that game to the Rangers last night. Like, who are the teams? Nine in a row for the Rangers. Yeah, like, they're, they're absolutely on fire. Uh, they don't need goaltending. They're good. Um, but outside huh. of the Shesterkin's Devils... Shesterkin's back to being Shesterkin, by yeah. the way. Yeah, and Quick's had an incredible bounce-back season. Um, when it comes to the Devils, okay, so that's the team. You reported it. They're really close to making the deal. The Hurricanes seemingly think that Freddie Anderson can overcome this blood clot issue and be a, a, a big-time member of their team in the playoffs, potentially here, get him back outside of the devils and maybe the hurricanes. Who's another team. I don't think Toronto has the pieces to pull off a Markstrom deal, nor I don't think they have the cap space to do that. Like outside of those potentially three teams, like what, what would be the market for Jacob Markstrom? Cause I think it's very small and that seemingly just feels like a summer thing. I think there's only one team that's really in the market for Markstrom and that's New Jersey. Okay. I think there's three teams total that are looking for goalie help, maybe four, if you include the LA Kings. But it's LA, Colorado, New Jersey, and Carolina. Carolina typically isn't one to spend assets. And you mentioned Anderson coming back. I think they like Kochetkov and the way he played before the concussion. You still, if you need him at some point, have Antti Ranta. So I don't see them being a big player on the goalie market, although I don't know about you guys, but with the state of this Hurricanes team, the influx that they're about to have with their cap situation, Brett Pesci, Brady Shea, Tavo Teravainen, all up at the end of this season, I wouldn't be betting one more playoff run on those goalies. That's just me. Hmm. But I, I just, in their MO, I can't see them being a big spender on, on a goalie based on assets and cap space. So that leaves Colorado who Georgiev is their number one and they're not looking for another one a they're looking for someone that can chew up minutes for them that can start games and be reliable when called upon. They're looking to get Georgiev more rest so that he's fresh for the playoffs. So that doesn't scream Markstrom to me. Based on what the Kings have spent on goaltending on Talbot and Riddick and Copley, I can't imagine they're a team that would be signing up to get Markstrom, even though they would seem to make some more sense than some others, especially with how well Jonathan Quick played in his 30s. 
I think they're a team that would maybe be the most beneficial of Markstrom over the next couple of years to settle down their crease. But outside of, you know, that scenario, like that's the market in a nutshell. I don't think Toronto is, is very active. Um, and if they're spending assets, I don't think it's going to be on goaltending. Mm-hmm. I don't think Edmonton's in the mix. Um, I mean, you tell me, where's the other? Yeah, exactly. I don't see another spot. Listen, Edmonton would be, it's great. Skinner's had a bounce back year. Obviously, the winning streak and what they're doing, it's all great. But that Oilers team's a hell of a lot scarier with Jacob Markstrom in net than they are uh, with Stuart Skinner in net, in my opinion. But also... Well, they loved Markstrom, too. They were the team that sure. almost... I, and I get it. I and, think they're still, they still feel a little And the, before that. you text me, I know Marstrom was not good against the Oilers in that, in that series. I get it. Like, I understand. He's probably, he's never really been good against the Oilers since, has he? Okay, well, we all has have a hitch right? in our they, swing. They claim that they broke Markstrom. Oh, okay, well, I don't think Their he's. Their fan base does, at least. Yeah, I don't think he's broken this season. He, it looks like he's pretty fixed uh, he to looks, me. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, he looks pretty put together. He looks damn good. Um, This is something we've talked about on the show. I want to get your opinion on I don't know, like, we heard the whole thing when the Golden Knights won the Cup and Mark Stone gave up his body, and, you know, he's not going to ever be the same guy, the back issues. it's He's going to be limited the rest of his career. He's played every game. Now he's hurt. And it looks like this is an LTIR situation for the Golden Knights. Does this reek of the whole Kucherov thing? We're now like, hey, Mark, we'll yeah. get to the playoffs. Why don't you come back game one? And now we have a lot of flexibility here at the deadline. Do you see that happening for the Golden Knights? No, I don't. Okay. I don't think these situations are related, and I'd be the first one to call BS because I think their cap shenanigans have been interesting. <laughs> but in this case, um, shenanigans. They, yeah, well, true. it's it's true. They work it to the very extent of the line. Yeah. I also respect in some ways. Yeah. If you're not um, cheating, you're not trying, Frank. That's what they say. Yeah, I mean, that's that's how that's how we describe your golf game. Hey, oh, um, oh no, hey, how dare you? <laughs> There's one thing I don't do. I don't cheat at golf. <laughs> How well, dare that's, you? That's the thing. I mean, you cheat in golf. You yeah. cheat in yeah. just about everything. Yeah. You have no honor in your life. It's true. Mm. Um, so what I would say is doing some digging on the Stone situation yesterday. My understanding, and I reported this, is he has a lacerated spleen. Mm. And I know that's it comes with an ambiguous timeline. <laughs> but apparently there's no question about... The injury, the severity, um, not a pretty scenario and or picture for the Golden Knights because this is their, the heart and soul of their team that is out for an undetermined amount of time. And by the way, when you have a lacerated spleen, you're also one more hit away from re-injuring it. So it's a tough spot. Um, I don't know what they're their answer is or how aggressive they're going to be. My guess would be that they again, go to the maximum extent possible, which I would too. If you have nine and a half million bucks to spend and you know, your guys out three months, I'm just giving you a hypothetical timeline because that is a common timeline for a, a lacerated spleen that maybe you go out and spend that money. You trade the assets you have, you be ultra aggressive trying to make that Stanley cup defense. And then, at some point, you get Stone back in the playoffs. You've got Eichel back. You've got Theodore back. You know, all of a sudden, the Golden Knights are a really scary team to come out of the West again. I know that this injury is—it's lacerated spleen. It's—it's—it's it's, it's there. It's—it's it's not disputable or anything like that. 
But how much do people inside the NHL office kind of raise their eyebrow at what's going on in Vegas the same way that fans and, and media sometimes do? Well, I think they're definitely um, paying attention, I guess is the best way mm. to say it. They, they see the complaints from fans on social media. I think they hear the complaints from other teams because there have been some of those levied in terms of how the Golden Knights have used the long-term injury exception. Uh, I think the Golden Knights have been very defensive. And the bottom line is this, the NHL has unfettered access to the medical reports and they're reviewing them. So any kind of funny business that's going on, they're, they're going to be on top of it. Like this isn't going to be one that flies under the radar. How hard were you chasing that Emil Benstrom trade yesterday? Oh, that was huge. Yeah. Honestly, I, I forgot that Alex Nylander was still on an NHL contract. Nice. Mm, that's good. But I, ha- I can tell you, I haven't seen a um, condition Could- on a pick quite like that. Like you can go all the way from a sixth rounder to a third rounder. Like a third rounder is pretty decent if this guy gets six goals, six measly goals. We've got like 30 games left, 27 games left. So he's going to be playing on the wing with Sid or 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 Gino. You <laughs> think? Like, I, would do. I mean, <laughs> let's get, get, this get this first kid, power get this play. Kid some action. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look at us. We've got no picks. We've already traded away our first. We could really use an extra third. Uh, Frank, um, have fun the next couple weeks. Uh, it's all over two weeks today, which is exciting. Uh, the speculation will be past you, so it'll be fun. So uh, have Can fun. Can I answer your inbox question or your yes. question of the day? Please do. It? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Flames are likable like blank is likable to me. Okay, so I'm going to put myself in the headspace of a Flames fan. I'm going to say okay. the Flames are likable like cheese fries are likable to me. Oh. And I'll say that because I love cheese fries. Mm. But I also know every time I eat them, the absolute guilt that I have. <laughs> yeah, of course. you can basically take them and glue them right to my arse. Yeah. <laughs> that's where it goes I, for I you, Frank. I like I look at cheese fries yeah. and I get fat. Yeah. yeah, that's where it goes to you. A little more junk in the trunk. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but here's the thing. Like, So you're rooting for the Flames to make the playoffs. Right. But you also know that every win just drags them further away from their ultimate destination. Mm. But you're if you like cheese fries, you like poutine too, right? Oh, are you kidding? Yeah. Good for the badonk. Yep. Big dad. But that is is that not a good analogy? It's a great analogy. Oh, I know. I'm I'm like, just you really enjoy hungry. it, but you like, know you're gonna pay for it at yeah. the end, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A hundred percent. A moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips. That's what they say, Frank. That's, That's what it. they say. Yep. You're welcome. Uh, Frank, we'll talk to you next week, pal. Thanks for this. You're welcome. See you guys. NHL Insider for Daily Faceoff, Mr. Frank Cervalli, brought to you by Self Trail Exports. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SelfTrailExports.com. The why'd, Cobra. Why'd you say you're welcome? Why not? I think the Cobra's coming in. We went we went hard last night. I think he's coming in. Yeah, it's, you know. He's still got four minutes. Up in the air. We'll All right. see. Brent Cron probably next. Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan.